All right, uh, we are in Second Kings. Let's go ahead and open in prayer, and then we'll get into the Word of God. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just want to remember those who are suffering currently. Lord, I can't even imagine what it'd be like to run from my home and uh, to 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 grab everything I have and uh, and only what I can carry. And uh, so, Lord, we do pray for these who are refugees who are leaving home and, and trying to protect families and children. We pray, God, for your mercy upon them. And, Lord, we know that even through refugee situations, you do mighty, powerful works, Lord. And I can't help but think of all those who have met you through becoming, being a refugee and meeting you in a camp and uh, receiving your gospel message. So, Lord, we pray for your comfort. We pray for your protection your mercy upon these individuals. We also pray, Lord, that they might not only uh, be taken care of, but also uh, that they might meet you. So, God, we ask for you to turn uh, the Russian military around. Lord, we pray for a peaceful solution. And, uh, God, we, we don't know. Uh, we, we're powerless in this whole thing, but, Lord, we thank you that the God of the, all the earth is all-powerful and sovereign. And so we trust in you for all things. We thank you, and we now ask you to open up your word as we speak about kings and armies and uh, warfare and all the things that come with uh, the peoples of the earth and the sin nature. Lord, we just ask for you to open up your word and teach us tonight. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we are continuing on in 2 Kings. We're in chapter 11. We'll be, uh, Lord willing, we'll, if we have time, we'll do 11 and 12 tonight. Uh, so we finished up last week. Uh, actually, we're going to start right in the back of chapter 10 because I kind of ended before the very end. But uh, we, we were dealing with Jehu, and Jehu had taken over as king uh, after being anointed as king in the northern kingdom of Israel. And Jehu went about fulfilling God's prophecies, and he wiped out the, the house of uh, Ahab and the house of Jezebel driving his chariot furiously all the way along. And um, so now we come to verse 32 of chapter 10. Sorry, guys, I forgot to give you that text. So chapter 10, verse 32, it says, In those days the land began to... Do we have that? Chapter 10, verse 32. In those... Almost. Okay. Well, you have Bibles there, guys, so you can open up your Bibles. (laughs) Oh, here we go. Uh, In those days the Lord began to cut off parts of Israel... And Hazael conquered them in all the territory of Israel, from the Jordan eastward, all the land of Gilead, Gad, Reuben, and Manasseh, from Aroer, which is by the river Arnon, including Gilead and Bashan. Now, I want to just uh, real fast remind you who Hazael is. Hazael is now king of Syria. And what we're seeing is that uh, God is beginning to cut away the land of Israel uh, because of their disobedience. So if you remember Jeroboam when he became king, and by the way, the northern kingdom doesn't have a single king who walks in the way of the Lord. The, the uh, ten tribes of the north have, don't have a single king in their record that walk and please the Lord. Uh, but we saw that Jeroboam was afraid of losing the kingdom, so he created false worship of God and, and allowed these things in Israel. And then from there, it went into the worship of Baal and so on and so on through the different kings. And now we see that the kingdom is being cut off little by little on the eastern side of the Jordan under Jehu's reign. Now, verse 34 says, Now the rest of the acts of Jehu, all that he did and all his might, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? Now, we don't have those chronicles 
Uh, we have the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah, but we do not have the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel. So Jehu rested with his fathers, and they buried him in Samaria. Then Jehoahaz, his son, reigned in his place, and the period that Jehu reigned over Israel and Samaria was 28 years. Okay, now as we enter into chapter 11, we're going to kind of back up in time because we're catching back up with the kings of Judah in the, in the south. So, uh, so as we wrapped up Jehu's life, we're actually going to back up and we're going to see that it's actually in the seventh year of Jehu that a new king of Judah is anointed. And, and actually, this is a great chapter. Last, last week's chapter, as I told you, was super medieval and everybody was dying. This week, I mean, people are dying still because it's this, yeah. Uh, but, but, uh, but this week has some real heroes, so it's, it's pretty exciting. So chapter 11, verse 1. When Athaliah, Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead... She arose and destroyed all the royal heirs. But Jehosheba, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were being murdered. And they hid him and his nurse in the bedroom from Athaliah so that he was not killed. So he was hidden with her in the house of the Lord for six years while Athaliah reigned over the land. Now, did you guys catch all the relationships there? No, but I got a slide for you. So this will so help a little bit. I hope you can see it from the back if you can't come closer. But uh, so we have the kings of Judah on the left side, the kings of Israel on the right. Now, obviously, we don't have all the kings of Israel. But uh, what I want you to pay attention to is as you go down there, there's Jehoshaphat before the tree branches off. And then you have Jezebel and Ahab uh, before the tree gets wider. Well, if you remember, Jehoshaphat married off his son, Jehoram, and he's also called Joram. There's a Joram in Israel and a Joram or Jehoram in, in Judah. And uh, he married off his, Jehoshaphat married his son Jehoram off to Athaliah. So that's this woman here who's going about murdering her heirs. Uh, Jehoram, uh, we, we saw the king, kingdom fall apart uh, under his reign, turn over to worshiping bells. And we, we brought up that issue about who you choose to marry and how, what impact it can have upon uh, godliness and, and uh, your whole family if you uh, choose to marry those who hate God and are against God. Well, Athaliah brought in the worship of Baals and all sorts of things uh, into the kingdom of Judah. So her son was Ahaziah. Now, a part of the, the prophecy of God was that the Lord was going to destroy the house of Ahab. And so we saw that last week with uh, Jezebel being uh, killed, and Joram, and uh, we saw Ahaziah, uh, the son of Jehoram, uh, the king of Judah, also being destroyed. So that's where we want to kind of bring your attention to. Now, on the left side, you'll see Jehosheba, the sister of Ahaziah. Now, she's the sister of Ahaziah by a different fa- mother uh, to King Jehoram. So she doesn't have any sons herself. Well, she she does have a son, Zechariah, but no sons in the kingly line, okay, as an heir. 
She is married to the priest, Jehoiada. Now, if you're confused, we'll just keep putting this back up so you can keep track of it. But the whole point is here that uh, Ahaziah, when she finds out her son, oh, sorry, uh, Athaliah, when she finds out her son Ahaziah has been killed uh, by Jehu up in the northern kingdom, she decides she's got to secure her throne very quickly. So she goes around murdering all the royal heirs. Now, a part of this that I want you to realize is that she is not a rightful heir to the throne of David. She doesn't belong there. She doesn't have the authority to take that throne, but she's taking it. So uh, she is an imposter on the throne of David. Well, she goes, she starts murdering everybody, and we have this beautiful uh, hero. Now, obviously, I'm not saying talking about her outward appearance because we don't have no idea what she looked like, but just her character, Jehosheba, who the king, the daughter of the king of Joram, who stole away Joash and hid him away. We, we see that she hid him and his nurse in the bedroom from Athaliah so that he was not killed. So he was hidden with her. And look at where she hid him finally. In the house of the Lord for six years, she hides him away, uh, just in the temple. And it's probably a pretty good place to hide away uh, an heir to the throne because we know that uh, Athaliah worships Baal. And uh, she's actually, her and her sons had sacked the temple and taken instruments of the temple and put them into the temple of Baal there in Judah. And so, so uh, this is probably a good spot to hide him away. But Jehoiada, uh, the priest at the time, he's the one who's going to really uh, care for and protect this, this young heir, Joash. Okay, I know there's a lot of names flowing around. Hopefully we're clear on this, at least clear as mud, right? So, um, so God used Jeho- Jehosheba to protect Joash and also to preserve the line of David. Remember, God made a promise to David in 2 Samuel 7, 16. God promised to David, in your house, and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. And this is an important promise because not only does it play into the events of the kings, but it also plays into the future return of Jesus Christ because Jesus will be taking the physical throne of King David at his return. That's why it was so important when that blind man, Bartimaeus, yelled at Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me because he was recognizing Jesus as the king and rightful heir to the throne of David. Uh, but going backwards here to Second Kings, uh, God uses this woman who stands up amidst a really wicked ruler to hide away the heir and preserve the line of David. Well, going on from here, we get into verse 4. So in the seventh year, Jehoiada sent and brought the captains of hundreds of the bodyguards and the escorts and brought them into the house of the Lord to him. And he made a covenant with them and took an oath from them in the house of the Lord and showed them the king's son. Then he commanded them saying, this is what you shall do. One-third of you who come on duty on the Sabbath shall, keep, uh, shall be keeping watch over the king's house. 
One-third shall be at the gate of Sir, and one-third at the gate behind the escorts. You shall keep watch, the watch of the house, lest it be broken down. The two contingents of you who go off duty on the Sabbath shall keep the watch of the house of the Lord for the king. But you shall surround the king on all sides, every man with his weapons in his hand, and whoever comes within range, let him be put to death. You are to be with the king as he goes out and as he comes in. So here's the plan so far. Jehoiada, the priest, brings in these uh, military men and uh, the temple guard and these trusted ones who, who run the area and, and are bodyguards. And he brings them in and he makes a covenant with them. Now, just for a moment, put yourself in their place. I don't know if you can imagine having a wicked leader or representative who you feel is just destroying your homeland or your country. Maybe you've been in a position like that. I don't know. <laughs> this is kind of funny. But, but really, well, that's where we're at. We're talking about this woman who's wicked. She's destroying all heirs. And she, she is destroying Judah. And we're seeing, we see that she's robbing the peace from Judah. She's an imposter on the throne of David. And Jehoiada has got this, this king, this heir, hidden away. So we're six years into this. And, and in the six-year mark, as they make this covenant with these people, they pull, he, he brings out this young king and shows him to them. And you can, you can kind of imagine how they're feeling. Wow. Look, there's the heir to the throne. We thought they were all dead. We, we were even questioning God's word. I don't, I don't know. The Bible doesn't say that, but, but certainly you would, wouldn't you? Uh, and and they, how was this all going to work out? Now we see this heir to the throne. And so right away they respond. And so Jehoiada comes up with this plan that, that uh, during the changeover, when, when it won't bring a lot of suspicion, and they bring in the, the extra guards and the other ones are going off, he has this switch around where the ones who are going off are actually going to move into different positions and protect the whole place. So verse 9 says, So the captains of the hundreds did according to all that Jehoiada, the priest, commanded. Each of them took his men who were be, uh, to be on duty on the Sabbath with those who were going off duty on the Sabbath and came to Jehoiada the priest. And the priest gave the captains of hundreds the spears and shields which had belonged to King David that were in the temple of the Lord. Then the escorts stood, every man with the weapons in his hand, all around the king from the right side of the temple to the left side of the temple by the altar in the house. And he brought out the king's son, put the crown on him, and gave him the testimony. They made him king and anointed him. And they clapped their hands and said, Long live the king. You can just imagine these guards as they're coming into the temple and the Levite, the priest, as they're receiving the shields and the spears of King David, which are stored in the temple. You can just kind of like feel that, that, that presence and that, and that power, that position to say we're guarding the heir of David. That's what we're doing. We're called here to guard him and to, uh, to uh, crown him king. And so as they bring out Jeho- uh, Jehoash, they, they do this, uh, they not only bring him out with guarding him, but look at what they do. They put a crown on him, 
And they gave him the testimony. That's the law because that goes back to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy uh, chapter 17 verses 18 through 19 says, Also it shall be when he sits on the throne, speaking of a future king uh, of his kingdom, that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in the book from the one before the priests, the Levites, and it shall be with him. And he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all the words, this law, and these statutes. So this was part of being a king, was receiving the law of God, the testimony, and, and learning it. And that was the expectation. Boy, I wish every American would commit to that expectation. Uh, certainly at least within the church, that the church would truly commit to learning the word of God, committing it to heart, and living it out. It, it would be good for us to do. I know we're expected to do it, but really, truly, if we, if we lived out the word of God, I think we would see a great change in our communities. Well, so he's crowned, he's given this, this testimony, and now they're clapping their hands saying, long live the king. And, and it's kind of interesting, we clap too when we appreciate something, when we're rejoicing, all those things. Well, they're clapping, long live the king. Well, the, the noise is being heard uh, at the palace. And so now when Athaliah, verse 13, heard the noise of the escorts and the people, she came to the people in the temple of the Lord. When she looked, there was the king standing by a pillar according to custom. And the leaders and the trumpeters were by the king. All the people of the land were rejoicing and blowing trumpets. So Athaliah tore her clothes and cried out, treason, treason. Now, isn't this interesting? As Athaliah hears all this noise, she comes down to the temple and she sees Joash standing by the temple as was custom. Basically, it was presenting the new king to the people. People are blowing trumpets. They're cheering. They're so excited to see uh, uh, the heir to the throne of David there in Jerusalem. And her words are treason, treason. It's kind of interesting because it, it is kind of true that they are committing treason against her, but she is not the heir to the throne of David. She doesn't belong there. She's wicked. So they're overthrowing her. That is true. But it, it is interesting when evil people are overthrown, they cry out they're being evil, right? <laughs> That's not fair. <laughs> you shouldn't play that way, right? And uh, so it's just the way that goes. Verse 15, And Jehoiada, the priest, commanded the captains of the hundreds, the offices of the army, and said to them, Take her outside under guard, slay her with the, slay with the sword, whoever follows her. For the priest had said, do not let her be killed in the house of the Lord. So they seized her, and she went away, uh, way of the horse's entrance into the king's house, and there she was killed. So she's now given the death sentence by Jehoiada. Now notice what they say, take her outside under guard, and slay with the sword whoever follows her. Anybody who's with her, they're done too. We're not going to tolerate this anymore in the kingdom of Judah. So she makes this, uh, he makes this statement. He doesn't want her, he wants the purity of the temple kept so she's not to be slayed inside the temple. And uh, now we have this incredible moment of King's, King David's throne restored to the house of David. And I, I just want to point something out that 
God is sovereignly in control. And I think it's really important to always remember that because sometimes we get so frustrated with the way the world is going, the way political representatives are making decisions, the way things are being done around us. And it could be, and it might not, I'm not even talking about the federal government, um, you know, it could be a school board that you just feel has been taken over. Listen, I want to encourage you, you have the power and the authority to come before the throne of God. And you can affect great change as you do that, as you pray, as you get on your knees. And of course, as you voice truth, you have great power. Don't be so quick to say, oh, we've lost everything because God is sovereignly in control. God made a promise to to King David, and he, he reaffirmed that promise to Solomon. In 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 11, Solomon was disobedient, and God uh, was correcting Solomon. This is what he said. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, because you have done this and have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Verse 12, nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the sake of your father, David. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away the whole kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant, David, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. So God, uh, in correcting Solomon, he's still sovereignly in control, and he's going to retain Judah for the kingdom of David, and he'll continue to do that. And we can see all the way down to Jesus Christ, God retained and kept, preserved the line of David all the way. And that's when genealogies end, when Jesus arrives, right? Because Jesus is the king forever. He, he's, he, he's never going to die. He's the last and final king. And of course, he'll return and establish his throne on the earth during his millennial reign. So that that uh, God is always in control. So don't lose heart when you uh, when we have leaders who are wicked or do wicked things. And by the way, I'm not talking Democrat versus Republican. Don't think I'm saying that because Republicans do wicked things too. Democrats do wicked things. We're not talking about that. We're talking about interceding on behalf of our nation, our communities, our people, and, and uh, beseeching the Lord and trusting in Him through all those things. Well, verse 17 says, Then Jehoiada made a covenant between the Lord, the king, and the people, that they should be the Lord's people, and also between the king and the people. I'm going to stop there, because this is important. Uh, Put up verse 17. Then Jehoiada made a covenant between the Lord, the king, and the people, that they should be the Lord's people, and also between the king and the people. This is really important. Because this is saying that Jehoiada is reestablishing the covenant uh, that God made through Moses at Sinai with the people of Judah. He's reestablishing this covenant that's made. He's reaffirming it to them. And it's saying that basically the king and the people belong to the Lord and will serve the Lord. So that's the first part of this covenant that Jehoiada officiates over. The second part of this covenant is between the Lord's, that the, uh, the, they should be the Lord's people, and the second part of the covenant is between the king and the people. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, it's not saying that the people 
should have to serve the king in anything he wants. It's actually a call that the king will rightfully lead and care for the people of God. That he'll do his duties and honor the law of God in which he's called to care for the people. It's, it's really interesting that this is the way the uh, kingdoms were established and were supposed to run. Now, we'll see that this only lasts for a certain amount of time. But uh, nonetheless, this is a good principle that the people aren't just supposed to be servants and do whatever the king says because he's the king, uh, we're enslaved to the king, and so on. Uh, that was really popular idea of uh, a monarchy in the Middle Ages. It was kind of like the king has the right of everybody, owns everybody, and can do whatever he wants, and it was quite abusive. That's not God's ideal way with kings. Of course, we know that kings aren't even God's ideal way, but uh, uh, the kings of the earth, I should say. So, uh, so we see that they make this covenant to be the Lord's people and serve the people. All right, verse 18. And all the people of the land went to the temple of Baal, and they tore it down. They thoroughly broke in pieces its altars and images. They killed Matin, the priest of Baal, before the altars, and the priest appointed officers over the house of the Lord. Then he took the captains of hundreds, the bodyguards, the escorts, and all the people of the land, and they brought the king down from the house of the Lord and went by way of the gate of the escorts to the king's house. Then he sat on the throne of the kings. So all the people of the land rejoiced, and the city was quiet, for they had slain Athaliah with the sword in the king's house. Jehoash was seven years old when he became king. So we see Jehoash um, is established as king. And it's interesting that the people, after this covenant is made, the people are the one who initiate getting rid of the temple of Baal. And uh, you, you have to wonder if they were just bearing with this evil that was in Judah because under uh, under the, go back to the king's chart, the little chart there. Under the reign of uh, Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat did a lot of very good things. His, his big mistake was marrying off his son to the, the daughter of Jezebel and Ahab. But Jehoshaphat uh, wanted the people to serve God, and he really established this. So I, you can see that the people are just, just being crushed under this wickedness in their land, the temple of Baal. And so finally, once they have a new king established, they, they right away go to the temple of Baal, tear it down, and they thoroughly break in pieces its altars and its images and kill the priest of Baal uh, before all the altars. So they just wipe it out from the land. They don't want it in their land. They're, they are the Lord's people, not the people of Baal. All right, so now we're going in chapter 12, verse 1. I just want to make sure we didn't, okay. So in the seventh year of Jehu, Jehoash became king, and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zibiah of Beersheba. Jehoash did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Now, Jehoash and Joash, same person. Uh, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of which Jehoiada the priest instructed him. That's really important. Verse 2 uh, note that Jehoash did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days in which. Jehoiada the priest instructed him. We'll come back to that. But the high places were not taken away. So they still allow the sacrifice uh, uh, to, uh, up in the high places to God. It was not the permissive way of sacrifice. They were supposed to come to the temple. 
The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. Verse 4, and Jehoash said to the priest, all the money of the dedicated gifts that are brought into the house of the Lord, each man's census money, each man's assessment money, and all the money that a man purposes in his heart to bring into the house of the Lord, let the priest take it themselves, each from his constituency, and let them repair the damages of the temple wherever any dilapidation is found. Now it was so by the 23rd year of King Jehoash that the priest had not repaired the damages of the temple. So King Jehoash called Jehoiada, the priest, and the other priests and said to them, Why have you not repaired the damages of the temple? Now therefore do not take more money from your constituency, but deliver it for repairing the damages of the temple. And the priests agreed that they would neither receive more money from the people nor repair the damages of the temple. So Jehoash is seeing Solomon's temple kind of break down. It's becoming dilapidated. It's, uh, it needs repairs. It's, it uh, needs some serious fixing. And so he comes up with a plan that, okay, as the priests are ministering and people are giving the offering to the priests, let the priests give some of that offering to the work of the temple. The problem was is the priests didn't get enough to take care of their own households and give to the temple. So in the 23rd year, Jehoash is kind of frustrated saying, hey, how come we haven't started this project yet? Let's get on this. And I, I kind of was laughing as I was reading this because I've had a couple meetings uh, uh, about construction around here. You know, Pastor Frank does such a great job in, in getting projects going and stuff. But, but uh, like the, the uh, gate doors out here into the fellowship hall, there, uh, like we started that project and it took over a year to get the doors. I'm like, Frank, what's going on? We, we've already paid for them. How come they haven't shown up? Oh, COVID, this person, that, you know, it's like, it was all, always, there was always something that stalled out the project. Uh, and I'm looking at, at Jehoash going, oh, no, I've been waiting for this. Why isn't it happening? Well, uh, Je- Jehoash uh, finds out that, hey, the priests aren't getting enough money to give the money to take care of this project. So he says, okay, forget it. Uh, you don't, res- don't re- even ask for money anymore about that. You just take care of what you do. Let, let the Lord take care of you through the people's offering. We're going to go a different route now. So verse 9, then Jehoiada, the priest, took a chest, bored a hole in its lid, and set it beside the altar on the right side as one comes into the house of the Lord. And the priest who kept the door put, uh, door put there, all, there all the money brought into the house of the Lord. So it was whenever they saw that there was much money in the chest, then the king's scribe and the high priest came up and put it in bags and counted the money that was found in the house of the Lord. Basically, they, they put it on an offering box, an agape box. It's, here it is. It's right there. Put it in as you want. Um, then they gave the money, which had been apportioned, into the hands of those who did the work, who had oversight of the house of the Lord. And they paid it out to the carpenters, builders, who worked on the house of the Lord, and to the masons and stonecutters, and for buying timber and hewn stone to repair the damage of the house of the Lord, and for all that was paid out to repair the temple. However, there were not made for the house of the Lord basins of silver, trimmers, sprinkling bowls, trumpets, any articles of gold, articles of silver from the money brought into the house of the Lord. But they gave that to the workmen, and they repaired the house of the Lord with it. Moreover, they did not require an account from the men into whose hand they delivered the money to be paid to the workmen, for they dealt faithfully. The money from the trespass offerings and the money from the sin offerings was not brought into the house of the Lord. It belonged to the priest. So here's the solution. 
let's quit taking that from the priest. Let's just forget about that. You, priest, take care of work, uh, ministering to the people. We're just going to put out an offering box. And they bored a hole in it and said, hey, but just it's right here in the temple. Let people give. And people started giving. And God, the work on the house of the Lord started being done. And uh, now I know for some of us, we might be thinking like, okay, this is kind of boring. Why are we talking about this? Well, I, I don't know. For me, I kind of look at this and go, this is really common. This is normal stuff that we have to deal with, you know. As things fall apart, we've got to repair them. As we, we've got to take care of these things. So how do we take care of them? We just wait on the Lord. We just trust in the Lord. And that's, that's actually one of the things I love. Um, I, I, you know, in, in the, during the pandemic, uh, God reset so many things in Calvary Chapel, Old Town. And, and I, I love a lot of these things. And I know yeah, people are like, don't say the word pandemic, you know. But no, hear me out for a minute. Uh, we just quit taking offering during the pandemic. Uh, we, obviously, Sunday nights we never did. We always just had offering boxes. But uh, Sunday mornings we, they would pass a plate. And, of course, the church went virtual. And we did, didn't make a big deal about offering. We never have. We just said let the Lord provide. And take care of his people. And, and what we saw was God was just blessing our church richly, providing for the needs of the church, providing for the needs of the people in the church so we could help out people in need. Uh, and, of course, uh, d- taking care of the projects that needed upkeep. Then when we came back to in-person meetings, uh, we, <laughs> we didn't want to pass a plate because one, actually, Pastor Rod and myself never wanted to pass a plate. We, we just love the, the idea of people just giving as the Lord puts on their heart. And it's, it's pretty exciting. And all the studies, you'll have all these people come out and say, let me tell you about how to grow your church and, and do this and do that. And if you establish this and put up ads for giving and do this, you're going to really grow your church. And for me, that just misses the whole mark of the Spirit of God leading in a church and leading his people. So we, we just <laughs> said... We just have these little offering boxes, and honestly, one of my greatest joys is when newcomers come up. They've been coming for a couple of weeks, and they're like, how do I give? And I'm like, oh, sorry, we forgot to even say that we have boxes. Uh, <laughs> like, we, I just love that uh, because God is just providing, and every week, we're just giving praise to God for his provision and the Lord is just blessing the church, and it's healthy, and it's just, I, I can't tell you how wonderful it is to, to not come up with a plan, to not come up with a, a whole campaign or any of those things. Just let the Lord lead it all. And so, so here, uh, jo, Jehoash learns that lesson, and it's going on. Now, by the way, in Chronicles, it says that they did actually also have leftover money at the end of all the work to make all these uh, bowls and things uh, that the temple needed. So there, there wasn't, they didn't just finish the work, but they gave it over. One verse I want to point out to you, verse 15. Look at verse 15 there in chapter 12. Moreover, they did not require an account from the men into whose hand they delivered the money to be paid to workmen, for they dealt faithfully. Now, this is not a biblical uh, argument for not having accountability. But it is a comment on the integrity of Israel. That the integrity of Judah, sorry, not Israel, of Judah, the integrity of the people of Judah had returned. 
it had been restored. So again, accountability is very good. It's not, it's not an argument for churches not to have accountability about uh, funds or things like that. It's an argument, it, it, what it is is a statement on the character of the people of Judah because they had returned to the Lord, because they were doing things God's way, that there was no need for this accountability because they were doing it well. So, verse 17, Hazael, king of Syria, went up and fought against Gath and took it. Then Hazael set his face to go up to Jerusalem. And Jehoash, king of Judah, took all the sacred things that his fathers, Jehoshaphat and Jehoram and Ahaziah, kings of Judah, had dedicated in his own sacred things. And all the gold found in the treasuries of the house of the Lord and in the king's house and sent them to Hazael, king of Syria. Then he went away from Jerusalem. So this great threat of uh, Hazael invading, he gathers up all his money, sends it to him, he goes away. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoash uh, and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And his servants arose and formed a conspiracy and killed Joash in the house of the, uh, the Milo, which goes down to Silla. For Joazakar, the sons of Shemeath, and Jehozabad, the son of Shomer, his servants struck him, so he died, and they buried him with his fathers in the city of David. Then Amaziah, his son, reigned in his place. Now, uh, Kings doesn't really tell us the whole story here. Turn over to Chronicles, and go to Chronicles chapter 24, verses 15, and we're, we're uh, don't worry, we'll go through this fast. Chronicles chapter 24, starting at verse 15. This gives us the whole story about what happened. So remember Jehoiada, that, that comment in, in chapter 12, that, that all the days of, that Jehoiada um, uh, was there for Joash, he, he served well. Okay, now look at verse 15. But Jehoiada grew old and was full of days and he died. And by the way, look at his age. He was 130 years old when he died. Now, that's a big difference because we know that uh, Joash is going to reign 40 years, and he was seven when he took over. Big difference in age. He was 47, where Jehoiada was 130 years old when he died. Okay, so going on there, uh, verse 16. And they buried him in the city of David among the kings because he had done good in Israel, both toward God and his house. He was an amazing man. Now, after the death of Jehoiada, the leaders of Judah came and bowed down to the king, and the king listened to them. Therefore, they left the house of the Lord God of the fa- their fathers and served wooden images and idols, and wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem because of their trespass. Yet he sent prophets to them to bring them back to the Lord, and they testified against them, but they would not listen. So after Jehoiada died, Judah, Jeho- Jeho- Joash started listening to these other leaders in Judah. He started listening to these, uh, these uh, men who were evil and wicked, and he started following. He quit being a leader for God and uh, forsake the, forsook the covenant that he had made. And as a result of that, as they started introducing wooden images and idols, as a result of that, God uh, removed his peace from them, and wrath came upon them. All right, so God started sending prophets to call them back. Isn't that merciful of the Lord to send people to say, hey, turn around, come back? 
Well, verse 20, then the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada. And by the way, he's also the son of Jehosheba, the, the woman who saved Jehoash. Um, and so the Spirit of God came upon him, the, the priest who stood above the people and said to them, Thus says God, why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Do, do you understand the statement there? If you trust the Lord, you'll be able to prosper. Because you have forsaken the Lord, he also has forsaken you. So they conspired against him, and at the, and at the command of the king, they stoned him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. Thus Joash, the king, did not remember the kindness which Jehoiada, his father, had done to him, but killed his son, and as he died, he said, the Lord look on it and repay. Verse 23, so it happened in the spring of the year that the army of Syria came up against him. And they came to Judah and Jerusalem and destroyed all the leaders of the people from among the people. And sent all their spoil to the kings of De- king of Damascus. For the army of the Syrians came with a small company of men. But the Lord delivered a very great army into their hand because they had forsaken the Lord God of their fathers. So now we see that peace completely removed. They have a great army. The Syrians send a small army. They lose, and they're totally delivered. So they executed judgment against Joash. And when they had withdrawn from him, for they left him severely wounded, his own servants conspired against him because of the blood of the sons of Jehoiada, the priest, and killed him on his bed. So he died, and they buried him in the city of David. But they did not bury him in the tombs of the kings. Who did they bury in the tombs of the kings? Jehoiada the priest who took care of him because of how he had cared for Israel and, and, um, and uh, led them back to God. But Jehoash, they didn't bury him in the tombs of the kings. Verse 26, these are the ones who conspired against him, Zabad, the son of Shemith, the Ammonites, the, and, uh, the Ammonites, and Jehoabad, the son of Shim, Shimrith, the Moabites. Now concerning his sons and the many oracles about him and the repairing of the house of God, indeed they are written in the annals of the books of the kings, which we read then Ahaziah's son reigned in his place. Now, all this to say, it's not about how you start. It's all about how you end. And over and over, we see that in Scripture, that it's about how you end. It, you know, it doesn't matter where you start. The Lord is so gracious and merciful. When you turn to the Lord and you call upon his name, he forgives. Not only does he forgive, but he establishes it's important about how you finish, that you finish in the Lord, that you stay faithful to the Lord and not just go about your own way and compromise. Be careful also, I want to say this to, to especially you young people in the room today, be careful who you listen to. See, Jehoash surrounded himself with evil leaders after the death of Jehoiada. And as a result of that, they steered him away. So be careful who you listen to and who are influencing you. Uh, let God be your influencer, not other people, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, all the other things. I, you know, it's interesting how they call these people influencers now. You should ask yourself, what are they influencing? That's really important. Well, let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for this day, and we thank you for your word. And, uh, Lord, it always makes us sad to see a king who starts out so well fall. Lord, we want to start out well with you, Lord, and we want to finish well. Lord, let us fix our eyes upon you. We make that our prayer. You are the author and the perfecter of our faith. So, Lord, we look to you. 
forgive us of our sin. As we come before you now for communion, we just pray, Lord God, that you'd forgive us of any unrighteousness. We confess it now to you. Maybe you have someone that you're refusing to forgive and it's time to forgive. You confess that to the Lord. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. And we thank you, Lord, that you always provide for us. You provided for us on the Mount of the Lord at Calvary. And you continue to provide for us good things because you're a good God. And we love you dearly. There is a communion cup near you in the pew. And uh, there should be enough. If, if they're not, look in the pew behind you. Um, on the night that Jesus, our Lord, was betrayed, he had a meal of fellowship with the disciples. And taking the bread, he gave thanks. And he broke the bread. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. And in the same manner, he took the, the wine. It might be a little difficult, and I apologize, but this is the last month we're using these. We finally run out. He took the cup, and he said, this is the new covenant of my blood, which has been shed for you. And just for a moment, think about that covenant. Christ has paid the price. He's, he's taking your sins upon himself, and he's imputed to you his righteousness. So he took the cup. This is the new covenant of my blood which has been shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. For as often as you do this, you remember our Lord's death and his second coming. Maranatha. I just want to challenge you, um, you know, when you think about war breaking out or running from your home uh, with only what you can carry, uh, who, who is it that you want to know about Jesus Christ that you haven't told? Have you thought about that? Because Jesus is coming. And don't keep putting that off for tomorrow or the next week or so on. You share Jesus with them this week, all right? So start praying for them. And if you want me to pray for them, let me know and I'll pray for them too.